History Podcast. I'm Allison, and I have a guest with me today. Rachel, would you like to say hey? Hi. <laughs> this is Rachel. She's been my best friend for almost 30 years, which is crazy because that Insane. means we're super, super old. <laughs> yes, it's sad. It's so sad. <laughs> so she is going to be um helping me host today's episode, which is episode 56 on the Axeman of New Orleans. Kind of been in a New Orleans kind of mode lately since um, we went and visited. Um, Rachel and my stepsister Amanda was with us, so this she's the perfect host to have today. So thanks for joining. Absolutely. Excited to be here. Yeah. So this is your first time you've ever been on a podcast as a host, correct? Definitely. First time I've been on a podcast, period. <laughs> awesome. Well, we're going to knock this out of the park. So I'm super Absolutely. excited. Me too. Plus, plus, it's good because like you and I were both there like in New Orleans. So yeah. this yeah. is appropriate topic. It is. It's perfect. So Jordan is still doing adult and working on his house. So he's doing his own thing for a while. So I might have Rachel come on and pop on to a few more episodes or uh, maybe somebody else while he's working on his house. So this is kind of the new normal for a little bit. But yeah. uh, before we get into it, I just want to um, go over a few things with the business. So right now our downloads are about 32,000. I think last episode in episode 53, I said that they were at 53 or uh, 35, which I was just really shooting high there. So, but I'd like it to be at 35. That'd be cool. <laughs> soon. Um, yeah. Soon. It's, I like to round up and that's just like way high. That's you know, the best rounding. way to go. It is. <laughs> so as always, you can find um, all of our stuff on mysteryhistorypodcast.com. There's a link to our Patreon. There's a link to our Discord. Um, so be sure to check us out on there. As always, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes or anywhere you listen. We really appreciate those. Even if it's just a five-star review, you don't have to say anything fancy, although we do like to hear that and read them. Um, so yeah, so please, please hit that like button, rate, review, and subscribe if you can. So are you ready to talk about this? I am. I don't really know too much about this. In fact, I heard about it right before we were leaving for New Orleans. One of the guys I work with, I told him about your podcast and I told him like we were going and he was like, he said something about it. And I was like, hmm, never heard of that before. <laughs> yeah. So I really haven't heard too much about it either. Um, so we whenever Amanda and I went to Bloody Mary's museum, mm -hmm. they had a real, like real small section of things from the ax man. Like they had a picture of one of the newspaper clippings. Um, and then they had, it was like hand typed, not like an original of the letter that he wrote. Okay. Um, and then a, like a hatchet that they had bought at home Depot or something. <laughs> so, <laughs> So legitimate. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I didn't see any blood stains or anything else. The, the price tag might have been on it. I don't know. <laughs> That's awesome. Looking new still. <laughs> right. Shiny. Oh my so, um, so we were, I was going to try to get some information on the casket girls. Um, and there wasn't a whole lot of information on that. So I thought this might be a little better um, to go over since there's a a little it's a little deeper than that so yeah the casket girl stuff was really interesting but i listened to what you had said in the last podcast and i feel like that was pretty pretty well it yeah <laughs> i yeah, covered it pretty well 
Yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of information. Um, and I really wanted to tie in like the Anne Rice stuff and everything because that was pretty cool. But that was maybe maybe it'll be added to like an episode we can do several different things on and kind of gloss over it a little better. But yeah. Okay, well, you got anything else to add before we jump into this bad boy and get it started? I don't think so. All right. Well, do you want to go ahead and start us off on the Axeman of New Orleans? Sure. So on May 23rd, 1918, Joseph Maggio, an Italian grocer, and his wife, Catherine Maggio, were sleeping next to each other in bed in their home on the corner of Upper Line and Magnolia Street in New Orleans. Their apartment was attached to their bar and the grocery store that they owned, And around 12.15 a.m., someone broke into the Maggio's home and cut both of their throats with a straight razor. Before the killer left the home, he bashed both of their heads in with an axe. That is pretty, like, gruesome. Yeah, I feel like it's a little bit of overkill at that point if you're already slashing their throats. Right. Like, you really wanted to make sure. Yeah, you don't need the axe. (laughs) Right. Well, and this takes me back to like the Velisca Axe Murder House. Like, just I don't know. It's something about mm-hmm. a hatchet or an axe. You have to be pretty close. Like, just like a knife. You know, it's not like a gun. You're just shooting somebody and being like deuces. You really got to be there for it. Yeah, and I feel like you have to be really deliberate and like extra in your movement. So, like with the straight razor, it's like quick. But if you're hitting somebody in the head with an axe, like you have to like swing back and, and yeah, be it, be right in there. And to do it so much that it like bashed their heads in, I'm assuming that wasn't just a one time deal, you know? Probably not. So two hours later, Andrew and Jake Maggio, Joseph's brothers, discovered the carnage in the apartment. Catherine was dead. Her throat was cut so deep that her head was almost severed from her shoulders. And I think about that and it's like, okay, a straight razor is like tiny. You know what I mean? Yeah. To get it so aggressively that you almost chop her head off with it. I mean, I feel like the axe had to have been used to get that the rest of the way almost off. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know either. Joseph had survived the attack and was still clinging to life. Unfortunately, though, minutes after his brothers arrived and discovered him, he passed away. So he was almost there. How awful to to have survived like that for that long. Yeah. Two hours. Yep. And then That's just awful. died. Well, and, right. And I mean, in 1918, how uh, even if he would have gotten to a hospital, I don't know what kind of what they could have done for him, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I'm sure the quality of life would not have been there um, had he somehow survived that. But just the fact that he like held on for that long and then for his brothers to get there, like that's just awful. Yeah. Okay, so Andrew... So one of the brothers lived in an adjoining apartment next to Joseph and Catherine. And he said that he heard strange groaning noises through the wall and went to investigate. He blamed himself for failing to hear any noise during the attack because he was drunk when he came home from a party. And that party was a party his friends were throwing for him, for him joining the Navy. How sad too, because that would, I assume we were super happy time in somebody's life. And then you yeah. would keep that blame probably with you forever. Oh, yeah, for sure. Mm. And I'm. it's crazy to think, like, how drunk was he that he didn't hear that attack, but then later heard groaning. Right. Like, okay. that's... A- and knowing that that had gone on for two hours, like, oi. Mm-hmm. That's awful. So a search by the police was not done when the bodies were removed, but later they found a bloody razor on the front lawn of the neighbor's home. This razor was actually confirmed to be Andrew's, the brother. Uh, He ran a barbershop on Camp Street. One of Andrew's employees, Esteban Torres, actually told the police that Andrew took the blade home with him so he could sharpen it because there was a nick in it. 
So um, and the killer actually gained entry to the home by chiseling along one of the lower panels of the door. So look at it, think about a door and you know how you got those doors that have the two panels on top and two panels on the bottom. Mm-hmm. And I watched an episode of, I believe, I have it in the notes later, but I believe it's Mission Declassified. And he actually like tests out the theory that somebody could, because you know, those those squares are pretty small. And yeah. He's the the guy who does the mission decla- declassified. He's like six two probably, but he's like not a bulky guy. He's pretty skinny, um, and he struggled to get through it. But he was able to get through it if he contorted his body the right way. Really? Yeah. But they also made the point that back then in the nineteen twenties, people were a lot smaller. Oh yeah, a lot smaller. So. If he could have gotten through it being as tall as he was, it would have been a lot easier for somebody, you know, from the 1920s to be able to get through. Yeah, somebody that that was, like, general height at that time. (laughs) Yeah, I thought that was really interesting, too, because I'm thinking in my big body, I'm like, there's no way in hell. Right? (laughs) There's no way I could get through that either. (laughs) Like, that does not seem right. (laughs) And whenever he, like, and, but the thing that they said is that whenever you had, like, because they... They took an old door from the 1920s and chiseled it mm-hmm. and um, got it open. And it was really, really loud to get it open. But once you did get it open, you could slide through there. So now it's like I'm looking at all the doors in my house. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, you got an older house, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, my house was built in the 1920s. Somebody's so what's up with, through there? <laughs> what's up with these doors, man? I don't know. Seems to me like you would definitely hear that. Yeah. <laughs> or my dog. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, that would be a terrible mistake. Can you imagine somebody trying to slip through the bottom of the door with the dogs? <laughs> like, like it's not a great... Especially head first. <laughs> right. You've made a mistake. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right. So, Andrew obviously became the chief suspect for a time um, with them finding that razor blade. I mean, of course... Uh, But he was released when they were unable to find a hole in his story. And he said that there was an unknown man who was seen around the residence prior to the murders. They knew the motive was not burglary because nothing was removed from the home, but they weren't sure what the motive was. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a pretty gruesome way to kill somebody. So you'd think it would be like personal. It sounds personal, yeah, Yeah. for her to almost have her head severed. And yeah, like it seems like it would have to be personal almost. Yeah. And then we got a picture um, and I'll post this to the Instagram. And sorry, guys, I know I've been posting the Instagram pictures uh, lately. And I know (laughs) you know it's me. Okay. And it's fine. Because I'm not fancy. But (laughs) I, I get my point across. So I'll post this picture of this door um, and you can see like the four panels and where the hole is. Um, And it's tiny. I mean, it's tiny. Yeah. My hips will get stuck in that for sure. My shoulders would not. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Mine probably not either. Okay. So, um, and at this point, the townspeople of New Orleans just kind of felt like it was you know, a a one-off situation. Like, this was a personal attack, um, not too much uproar, other than the fact that, oh my gosh, people got hacked to death. You know, that's... Mm-hmm. So, on June 27th, 1918, Louis Bessmer and his mistress, Harriet Lowe, were attacked in the early morning. On the corner of Georginus and Le Harp Streets, Louis had a living quarters behind his grocery store. So they like grocers. For yeah, everybody's got a grocery store. <laughs> Maybe it's either they, he likes grocers or there's just a lot of grocery stores. I don't know which one. We'll find out. <laughs> so Lewis was hit with a hatchet above his right temple, which fractured his skull. Harriet was hacked over the left ear and found unconscious when the police arrived. The couple was found by John Zanka, who was a driver of a bakery wagon and had come to the grocery store to make a delivery. John found Lewis and Harriet lying in puddles of their own blood, bleeding from their heads. Not good. 
Yeah, not what you want to come up on in the early hours. No. That's not good. So the axe was found in the bathroom of the apartment and was actually Lewis's. Lewis told the police that he was bashed in the head with the hatchet. And at this point, police arrest a 41-year-old black man named Lewis Kubicon who had worked at the Bessemer store just a week before the attack. So there was no evidence that proved that Cubicon had anything to do with the murders other than he gave conflicting statements of his whereabouts during the attack. And Harriet told the police she remembered being attacked by a mulatto, which is an old-time offensive way of saying it was a mixed man. The police discounted her statement because she was disillusional because of the attack. So interesting to me that these two people, after getting hit in the head with axes, were able to then give statements. I mean, I'm surprised they're alive. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, just the the cracked skull and, like, getting hit over the left ear, like, was a piece of her ear missing? I've got so many questions, and it, yeah. all of them grossed me out. <laughs> right. <laughs> Things we need to know. (laughs) But a lot of them, too, you know, the razor that was found in the other one, the hatchet found here. uh, A lot of people back in those days had to cut, like, firewood for cooking food and all that kind of stuff. So they Mm -hmm. had axes and hatchets kind of just strewn around. Yeah. So it wasn't uncommon for an axe just to be laying in the... the, um, the yard so yeah that's a different kind of thing we don't think about today but but it it was that was how they lived back then right nowadays it would be like bring your own hatchet it's interesting that it seems like so at this point this murder is just finding things on his way yeah like yeah. using things that belong to the victims or to the victims families like that were nearby well, and and that's kind of ballsy, you know what I mean? Like, but yeah. again, if everybody's got something like that somewhere laying around, then he knows he'll find something. Yeah. And it would be probably expensive to buy an axe for every murder that he commits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably at this point. Well, and two, the fact that, so, you know, that it seems personal, like the first one seemed personal, at least. I mean, I guess maybe not the second one as much but it wouldn't really make sense for it to be personal if you didn't even bring your own weapon you know what i mean right it seems like you're just walking around and finding a yard like doing this today right (laughs) right yeah so the police release ubicon because they didn't have sufficient evidence to hold him their attention quickly turned to Lewis, though, um, as a series of letters written in German, Russian, and Yiddish were found in a trunk in his home. Police su- suspected that Busmer was a German spy, so they did a full investigation. Harriet was still in the hospital, and she was actually struggling to try to stay conscious, um, so she wasn't doing as well as uh, as good old Lewis. And... Mm-hmm. She basically was able to tell the police in her stupor that Boosmer was a German spy. So the police arrested him. Two days later, he was released, and the two lead investigators of the case were demoted for an unacceptable police work. So obviously, there was no evidence. Yeah, apparently not. And I feel like at some point, you have to understand that the person that you're getting this confession from had a head injury, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. If she's struggling to stay conscious, I wonder how how much you could take for a word at that point. But right. yeah, that whole situation sounds interesting. So Harriet had a media following because she would constantly make scandalous and false statements regarding the attacks and the character of Lewis. She also made statements that she did not like the New Orleans chief of police, and she was reluctant to answer any of the questions by police. Harriet had wanted everyone to think that she was married to Lewis, but quickly it was revealed that Lewis was married to another woman, and she was the mistress. 
Lewis's wife, who was in Cincinnati at the time, came back to town and the drama continued. She believed that Chief Mooney let the cat out of the bag to the press about her marital situation. And despite marking Bessemer a German spy, she returned home to the police they shared weeks after the attack. One side of her face was partially paralyzed. Yeah, so when I was doing research for this, whenever she was in the hospital, you know, trying to stay conscious, he, Lewis, went to go try to see her. And he told them, I'm looking for Harriet Lowe. And they're like, well, we don't have anybody by that name. She had given him, them, his last name. Oh, wow. (laughs) So... So this lady is like, God bless her heart. You know, she's delusional. I don't know if it's the bump on the head or what's going on, but she's she's got some stuff going on. I don't know if it's the bump on the head. I mean, I'm trying not to. <laughs> you just want to think the best of this poor woman, right? I but... Mean, yeah. I mean, like she's she a little nuts. Attention. Yeah. Can you imagine going to the hospital for your mistress and then being like, oh, yeah, she's got your last name now? Right. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> but to be fair, they did have a plate home that they shared. So oh, yeah. Did there say. Wasn't, well, in Cincinnati, for all of those who don't know, is like an hour away from us. Um, yeah. And so that's crazy that out of all the places in America, she was in Cincinnati, the wife. Yeah. Um, but it, it didn't really give me much information as if like, maybe they were estranged. Maybe she stayed in Cincinnati and he stayed in New Orleans doing his grocery thing. Like, I, I, I don't really know what their relationship was like and why she was in Cincinnati. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it, it seems to me a permanent enough thing if they shared a home together, him and the mistress. So, yeah, that's yeah. true. But I don't know. So. Okay. Poor Harriet. Here we go. Um, August 3rd, 1918, she went into surgery to try to fix her paralyzed face and ran into some complications. She died two days later on August 5th. Prior to her passing, she told doctors and authorities she believed that Lewis was the one who attacked her. And Lewis was charged with murder and served nine months in prison before being acquitted on May 1st, 1919, after the jury only deliberated for 10 minutes. Oh, no. They knew this bitch was crazy. She's full crazy. But uh, I don't know. I feel like maybe this was her her last, like, I'm going to get somebody before I die. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I I would just love to know their relationship now because what the heck? Like, if she thought that he attacked her, she would have said that at the beginning. Right. Yep. You don't say that, like, right before you peace out. If, I don't know. That's that's what you really thought happened. (laughs) Maybe she was trying to get him in some sort of trouble because she was a mistress and she felt maybe slighted because... I'm sure back in those days, that was like a big no-no at the time. Like, even now, it's a no-no, but not as, you know, crazy. But maybe that's why she told him that he was a spy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. At what point do you stop listening to this person? (laughs) She's a a woman scorned, man. Right. Do do anything. (laughs) Yep. All right. So, August 5th, 1918. So that would actually be, okay, yeah, the day that Harriet passed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In the early evening, 28-year-old pregnant Anna Schneider woke up to a dark figure standing over her bed. The figure bashed her face in repeatedly. Her scalp had been cut open, and her face was covered in blood. Rough. Yeah, that's not what you want to go through, especially when you're pregnant, poor thing. I know, and she was alone. I don't know. So, returning home late from work, Ed, Anna's husband, found her bu- uh, bloody body in bed. Could you imagine? Like, Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Luckily, though, Anna was still alive, uh, but she didn't remember anything about her attack. She did deliver a healthy baby girl two days after this incident. Oh, that's good news. 
yeah a little silver lining there i like those yeah that's nice (laughs) so ed told police that nothing was taken from the home except six or seven dollars from his wallet i have questions about that the windows and doors of the apartment appear to have not been forced open and police came to the conclusion that anna was attacked with a lamp from a nearby table okay why is his wallet at home if he's at work well i i agree that's weird but i mean they probably walked to work back then yeah and they were in New Orleans, and you know how much we walked, and my feet still hurt, by the way. <laughs> You're going to be all right. <laughs> <laughs> what does walking have to do with the wallet? Because he didn't have to pay for transportation. Doesn't he want snacks? I mean, he, how's he paying I for lunch? I don't know. That's true. I got questions. That seems Maybe. sketchy. <laughs> and, and I don't think he was a grocer, because if I was a grocer, I'd be eating all the snacks for free. Well, then maybe that's why he didn't take his wallet. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then again, she was attacked with a lamp. From from the nearby table. So this person's just rolling up into people's houses and grabbing something. Mm -hmm. That's scary. Yeah. I would not be leaving any axes in my yard. Yeah. Make sure you put your axes up and lock them. (laughs) I feel like that's a good rule. Today, also. just anyways, yeah. So just in general, <laughs> keep your axes locked up. <laughs> so James Gleason was an ex-con, and he was arrested after Anna was found. James ran from the police whenever they tried to arrest him, but he said it was just because he had been arrested so much. <laughs> so I mean, yeah, that's is that a like, good excuse? Right. <laughs> good enough for me. It's like I've been arrested just. <laughs> Too damn much, you guys. I'm over it. I'm done. (laughs) Um, James was released because there was zero evidence to prove that he had anything to do with it. It was kind of just like you're guilty by association, you know? Yeah, he's Um, just an ex-con out there living his life and something bad happened near him. (laughs) Rule number 576, if the police are chasing you, just stop. Don't run. Yeah. Because you look suspicious. You do look suspicious. (laughs) And, and, and apparently I've been arrested too much is not probably a great, no, a great <laughs> excuse. So the police started putting the pieces together, thinking that all of these crimes were connected. Um, and, and that would kind of be hard, I guess, because they all had kind of different weapons. Um, and mm-hmm. there was no motive to connect the people. So, so good on you, New Orleans yeah. police. I feel like that was a quick quicker than usual connection and with crazy harriet over there telling everybody that one guy's the one who did it i mean be hard to connect that into this yeah she kind of messed it up yeah she did (laughs) (laughs) so and we've i've had we've talked about a lot of things and i mean these police have their finger on the pulse so that's good yeah they were on it so august 10th 1918 Pauline and Mary woke up in their home to the sound of commotion coming from the adjoining room where their uncle, Joseph Romano, slept. The girls opened the door and discovered their uncle had been hit with a serious blow to the head that had gashed two open cuts. The the attacker was running from the scene as they arrived, but the girls were able to see he was a dark-skinned, heavy-set man who wore a dark suit and a slouched hat. Joseph was able to walk to the ambulance when it arrived, even though his injuries were very serious. But unfortunately, two days later, he died due to severe head trauma. Those girls, if if I would hear a noise just like a scary movie, I would probably go investigate. Mm-hmm. But if I saw somebody running from inside the house, I don't know what I'd do. <laughs> like, what, what do you do? I don't know. Well, I guess, I guess you just let him <laughs> run away. I mean, at least he's running in the other direction, right? That's true. <laughs> don't try to stop him. Right? No, don't be a hero. We need a <laughs> rule book, go. I feel like. <laughs> like <a rule> book. <laughs> yes, definitely. Coming <laughs> soon to mysteryhistorypodcast.com. <laughs> the rule book. Things to okay. do and not. Yes. So that's sad. 
that mm-hmm. he he passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, so the home had been torn apart, but it didn't look like there were any items stolen from Joseph. And the axe was found in the backyard. And again, the back panel had been chiseled away from the door, just like the first attack. Um, at this point, New Orleans was like, hmm, this might not be, you know, this might be something we need to be worried about. So it exploded in chaos at the fact that another attack had occurred. Residents were terrified that they too would be attacked by the axemen. Police were given several reports that citizens had seen axemen lurking in New Orleans neighborhoods and that a few men had found axes in their yard, which were probably their own. Yeah, they found their own axe in their yard. (laughs) (laughs) Who the hell left this here? It was me. It was me. What a what an interesting way to enter a home. I'm still like stuck on this door thing. And two, like, what do you do as a homeowner? Like steal. Board yeah, board steal it up. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. That's interesting. I would, I would get a pet dog. Yeah. And I would like one. I would put bar, like, you know, I would nail shut those panels you know like try to enforce them or something i don't know but a lot of people and i don't know i don't think i have it in the notes but um when i was reading a lot of people at this time kind of because they didn't know like we're talking about they didn't know what to do so they started sleeping in shifts like oh my gosh somebody would man the door and they would let the other ones sleep. I would be terrible at that. I'd be falling asleep. You'd fall asleep for sure. You would not get a shift. <laughs> no, it would be bad. It would be so bad. But yes, because they, they didn't know what to do. And that's so like, that would be so exhausting to not be able to have comfort in your own home. But Yeah, to live in that kind of fear. Yeah. But then it's like, okay, well, do you have multiple doors in your home? like? Who's watching the front and the back door? Right. It's it's got to be loud. Like, that's got to be loud. I don't know that you necessarily need somebody in the front and in the back, but just just somebody somebody awake. awake. Yeah. Yeah. And then what? Then what do you do? I don't know. Do they have guns? I mean, surely they all have guns, right? (laughs) The general (laughs) homeowner and... Well, instead instead of leaving your axe in the damn yard... Take yeah. it in the house. Bring it in. <laughs> Just bring it in. Because <laughs> if he's, ch- I would wait. You know what I would do? I would wait until he would get halfway in. Yeah. <laughs> like, what's then that, motherfucker? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's yeah. Put it in the rule book. <laughs> right. So, John D'Antonio, a retired Italian detective, made a public statement saying that he believed the man who had committed the Axeman murders was the same person who killed several people in 1911. He provided similarities between the two homicides and told the public that this killer has dual personalities and kills without motive, which is the scariest kind of killer. (laughs) Right. Uh, This person could be a normal law-abiding citizen who is often overcome by the overwhelming desire to kill. He described the killer as a real-life Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Yeah, that is terrifying because everybody's a possibility. Like, you can't do anything. Right, yeah. And it could just, yeah, just the fact that it could be literally anybody because there's no motive and there's no line of... You know, who needs to be careful? Well, everybody's got to be careful. Yeah. That's scary. So on March 10th, 1919, screams erupt from Charles. Oh, here we go. Here's the no, it's a hard maybe one. one. Uh, Court Megilla? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That it. sounded rough. <laughs> I'm committed. Charles. Do it. That's what we're going to go with. His home. Uh, which was on the corner of Jefferson Avenue and the second street in Granada, Louisiana. That's wrong too. Gretna. Yeah. Gretna, uh, which is a suburb of new Orleans and it's across the Mississippi river. 
Charles was an Italian immigrant who lived with his wife, Rosie, and two-year-old daughter, Mary. So this is rough. Yeah. So I'll let you go ahead. Yeah, thanks. (laughs) Grocer Lorlando Giordano ran across the street after hearing the screams and saw that Charles, Rosie, and Mary had all been attacked. Rosie stood in the doorway with a serious head wound, holding Mary in her arms, who was dead. She had one single blow to the back of the neck. Charles lay on the floor bleeding extensively. The couple was rushed to Charity Hospital. Both had skull fractures. But Charles was released two days later while his wife remained at the hospital. The police found the killer gained entry to the house by chiseling away a back panel from their door. The bloody axe was found on the back porch of the home. That's so, like, that hurt me. Because I can just see that. I can just see it, and I can't get it out of my mind. Like, this poor woman holding her her two-year-old baby Mm. because that's your job as a parent you know is to protect and she couldn't and it wasn't her fault you know it's certainly not it's tough i can't do kids kids stuff i can't do kids stuff either having kids has i'm i was already sensitive but having children has fully ruined me (laughs) like i can't anything with kids yeah i (laughs) you will probably never ever hear any and there's a lot of cases out there that are very popular in the true crime mm-hmm. community with children and i you won't hear them here i can't do it yeah uh one of my friends was trying to get me to watch that documentary of that husband that was like i don't even remember where it was at because i fully have disengaged myself from that story where he murdered his wife and his kids and she was like telling me how i needed to watch it because he seems so like fine was this? Like, I think is what he, she was saying. Did he push her off a cliff? Yes, that's and the then one. blew up the house. Yes, oh. and I was like, I I will not be watching that. I can't even think about that having had happened. <laughs> like so, I don't know. <laughs> so I know exactly what you're talking about because I mistakenly did watch this because oh, I didn't dummy. Know. <laughs> well, so. I just put on like 2020 or, you know, whatever. And I just yeah. watch them continuously and let them roll. Well, this was one of the stories that was on and I didn't know until I had gotten too far in. And then oh. I think Josh was watching it with me and I was like, I can't do this. And then I went to the bathroom and that's whenever he had blown up the house with the kids in it. Uh-huh. And I'm so glad that I missed that part, even though him just telling it to me ruined my life. Like, yeah. I'm ruined. It's so sad. I can't. Yeah, I really, I can't. And I'm the same as you with, like, animals. I also cannot. Yeah. No. With animals, that, uh, no. that Luca Magnata was probably, even though that documentary, Don't Fuck With Cats, was, like, so good. It was so good. It was so well done. It was super hard to watch. And mm-hmm. I, <laughs> that's probably the only one I could watch. <laughs> like, with that yeah. because they showed enough to know what's going on which is worse enough but i just ah oh, i but then you start rooting for those people to want to find these fuckers who do this shit yeah it's like it's cool like the story is cool and that like the internet came together and like found all that i all, that's another one i have not watched that documentary <laughs> yeah that's it's rough it's rough nope i got too many cats in my little heart for that <laughs> I know. <laughs> Me too. Just, right? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. People are just, some people are just terrible people and that's right. all there is to it. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So you read the worst of it. I did. Thank you. Thank You're you welcome. You're okay. <laughs> <laughs> when Rosie regained full consciousness, she told the police that Orlando Giordano and his 18-year-old son, Frank, were responsible for the attacks. So this is kind of becoming a thing too, like where the the women are accusing people that aren't really in it. And I don't know if they're just grasping at what they last remember, which is probably them rushing into the house to try to save them. But I think it's really funny that like these people were there to help them and they're throwing them under the bus, so to speak. Like, yeah, yeah, they're the ones that did it. I wonder if 
that has to do with the head injury aspect of that. Like, that's, you're right. Yeah. Maybe that's just the last face that they saw. And they're like, that's who attacked me. Right. That's, ugh, that's rough. Mm-hmm. So, um, so Lorlando, which I really like his name. No, Lor- I like it. Yeah. With the Giordano on it. That's yeah. nice. It's very, <laughs> very nice. He was a 69 year old man. Okay. And he was in poor health. So what's he going to do? You know, nothing. Yeah. And then Frank was an 18-year-old who was over six feet and over 200 pounds. So there's no way that his big body could have gotten through the panel in the door. Um, and, or, you know, the 69-year-old man, he's not going to crawl through there either. So Charles, Rosie's husband, denied the claims that Rosie made against Lorlando and Frank. But the police still arrested them, and they were charged for the murder. Frank was sentenced to hang, and Lorlando was sentenced to life in prison. Which oh is so scary goodness. that that much of a lack of evidence could make you, like, make them hang somebody. When you have someone that was there disputing it, yeah. too. Yeah. Like, right. like, saying no way. Yeah, Right. That's nuts. Yeah. So Charles was so angry with Rosie that he actually divorced her after the trial. A year after the trial, Rosie admitted that she had falsely accused the two out of jealousy and spite. Which I don't really know where that comes from. Yeah, what's that even mean? I don't know. Maybe state, because yeah. maybe because of the daughter. I mean, if you lose a child, I couldn't imagine. I'm not even going to try. Yeah, no. You know, I, I don't know if maybe that's, she was angry and wanted somebody to blame and not that it's right, but I don't know. That's where my head goes. Yeah. I just don't, the jealousy portion of it, like, what is that even? I don't know. Hmm. Her statement was the only evidence against the Giordanos and they were released from jail soon after. Thank goodness. No I mean, it sucks I mean, that they had to go to jail in the first place, but man. He could have hung. He could have yeah. hung. Yeah. Yeah. And he was only, what, 18, they said? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's terrible. Poor babe. Okay. So, March 13th, 1919, a letter from the Axeman is published in the newspapers. It states he would kill again at 15 minutes past midnight on the night of March 19th and would spare patrons of any place where a jazz band was playing. That night, all New Orleans dance halls were filled to capacity and all professional and amateur bands played jazz at parties for hundreds of houses around town. There were no murders on the 19th. So he, and, and you know what I find interesting about this? So, and I know it was 1919, but just like the Zodiac and, um, you know, BTK and all of the, the people that had letters that they wrote, there's some sort of chain of command, like who received the letter, what, you know, what was on the envelope, where it was dropped off at all of that stuff mm-hmm. and there's literally none of that it's just like they had the this letter news- existed yeah <laughs> so i don't really know if this letter has anything to do with the axe man himself or if it was just somebody who's like let's get this place popping with some jazz <laughs> can you imagine all of, like the <laughs> shitty jazz bands like i it says amateur so like all the good ones are taken up and then they just have like bad jazz band still playing so nobody dies just somebody, <laughs> yeah just somebody like, with a saxophone <laughs> right <laughs> um and i just want to put this out there in the universe i'm not a jazz fan i it's not my main i would like tea. i mean i would like to like jazz because i feel like it's kind of moody yeah and i'm kind of moody but it's just not for me i've tried yeah, it's, all, it's all right but i wouldn't like go listen to jazz play all night or anything well then you could have been murdered you could have been murdered uh you know i think i would make an exception in that case i would definitely (laughs) be out (laughs) listening to jazz all night on that evening (laughs) but but yeah you're right with the the letter dropping thing that's interesting and yeah kind of makes it to where it could very well not have been the actual axe murder that did that 
So, yeah, go for it. Go for it. Okay, so I'm going to read the letter. It says... Hottest hell, March 13th, 1919. Esteemed mortal of New Orleans, the Axeman. They have never caught me and they never will. They have never seen me for I am invisible, even as the ether that surrounds your earth. I am not a human being, but a spirit and a demon from the hottest hell. I am what you Orleanians and your foolish police call the Axeman. When I see fit, I shall come and claim other victims. I alone know whom they shall be. I shall leave no clue except my bloody axe besmeared with blood and brains of he whom I have sent below to keep me company. If you wish, you may tell the police to be careful not to rile me. Of course, I am a responsible spirit. I take no offense at the way they have conducted their investigations in the past. In fact, they have been so utterly stupid as to not only amuse me, but his satanic majesty, Francis Joseph, etc., But tell them to beware. Let them not try to discover what I am, for it were better that they were never born than to incur the wrath of the Axeman. I don't think there is any need of such a warning, for I feel sure the police will always dodge me as they have in the past. They are wise and know how to keep away from all harm. Undoubtedly, you Orleanians think of me as a most horrible murderer, which I am, but I could be much worse if I wanted to. If I wished, I could pay a visit to your city every night. At will, I could slay thousands of your best citizens and the worst, for I am in close relationship with the angel of death. Now, to be exact, at 12.15 earthly time on next Tuesday night, I'm going to pass over New Orleans. In my infinite mercy, I'm going to make a little proposition to you people. Here it is. I'm very fond of jazz music, and I swear by all the devils in the nether regions that every person shall be spared in whose home a jazz band is in full swing at the time I have just mentioned. If everyone has a jazz band going, well, then so much the better for you people. One thing is certain, and that is that some of your people who do not jazz it out on that specific Tuesday night, if there be any, will get the axe. Well, as I am cold and crave the warmth of my native Tartarus, And it is about time I leave your earthly home. I will cease my discourse, hoping that thou wilt publish this, that it may go well with thee. I have been, am, and will be the worst spirit that ever existed, either in fact or realm of fancy, the Axeman. That doesn't sound like the Axeman to me. Nope, it sounds like a jazz band that's really trying to, like, break through. (laughs) Right, they just need a place to play. That sounds very, like, (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, but it just seems like the person seems very like, look at me, look at me, and I'm special, kind of, to me. I don't know. And I feel like, like if that was true with the, the Axeman, he would leave more than just this killing. Yeah. Well, and, like, even at the crime scenes, you know, like, he's not making a huge spectacle of everything. He's basically just bashing their heads in and then leaving not like marking anything with blood or you know like yeah this guy seems theatrical yeah and that doesn't seem like the vibe of the actual axe man i don't know nope i don't think i do not feel like this was written by the axe man i don't think so either all right so august 10th 1919 steve boca who was a grocer again another grocer It's not a good time to be a grocer. Nope, not in New Orleans. Um, (laughs) He was asleep in bed when he awoke to a dark figure standing over his bed. First off, nope. No. No thanks. Mm -mm. Um, So he blacked out, and when he regained consciousness, he ran to the street to find the man who had been standing over him. So he had no idea what happened. He went to sleep, and then he was up, and then he was trying to find this dude. When he finally stopped to assess his injuries... He found that his head had been cracked open. So pure Mm. adrenaline, which I'm sure you would have a lot of. Um, Police, or I'm sorry, he ran to the home of his neighbor, Frank Genuisa. Genuisa? Yeah. That's That's hard. (laughs) Genuisa. Where, (laughs) Where he passed out and collapsed. Police again found nothing missing from the home, and the back door panel was chiseled off, just like all the other ones. Boca recovered from his injuries, but he could not remember anything about the attack. These people all need dogs. 
yeah. Do they not have dogs in 1919? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you would think. Maybe there were more cat people back then. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know Uh, either, but this could have saved a lot of lives. Yep. So September 3rd, 1919, Sarah Lawman was a 19-year-old woman who lived by herself when she was attacked in her home. The following day, neighbors came to check on her. When no one came to the door, they broke into the home and found her lying unconscious on her bed, bleeding from a severe head injury, and was missing several teeth. Ugh. Ouch. I don't Please, like that. Yeah, I don't like that either. <laughs> Police say the intruder entered the apartment through an open window and attacked Sarah with a blunt object. Sarah was able to recover from her injuries, but did not recall any details from the altercation. So yeah, it must be something with like the short-term memory. Of getting bashed in the head. Yeah. I can't remember. That makes sense. But I feel like that's pretty risky, too. Like, to know that you're going to beat somebody bad enough so they can't remember your face. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he's wearing a mask, too. I don't know. I'm kind of surprised at the number of people that are surviving these attacks. Yep. I agree. He's not very good. Yeah. Is he trying all the way? Yeah. It just seems like some of them he meant to kill, I guess. And then other ones maybe. Well, I guess all of them. That's kind of like. Could survive. And if you notice, it's more women that have passed than the men, too. Yeah. Which is weird. So, okay, October 27th. Did I read that one? I'm sorry. It's your turn. And it's that, okay. that's the right one. Okay. October 27th, 1919, Mike Pepitone, which I like, mm-hmm. was attacked in the middle of the night. Miss Pepitone heard a strange noise coming from the door of his bedroom. She went to investigate and saw a large axe-wielding man running from the scene. <laughs> So then she shit her pants. Right. Proceeded to. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, but probably. Right. Mike, <laughs> Mike had been struck in the head and was covered in his own blood. Blood spattered covered the entire room, including a painting of the Virgin Mary. Miss Pepitone was unable to describe any of the characteristics of the killer, which I'm sure you're shocked. Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah. you're shocked. Mike, unfortunately, was dead uh, when the police arrived, leaving Miss Peptone with their six kids to raise on her own. No thanks. That's rough. Yeah. Barely making it with a husband. Right. (laughs) And two. And two. two (laughs) Right. Oh, no. That's too bad. So now we're going to talk about the suspects. Suspects. Okay, so this was the last murder known to be committed by the Axeman. Since the majority of the victims were Italian immigrants or Italian Americans, many believe that these crimes were ethnically motivated. Some suggest that the mafia was involved in these murders. The mafia have a thing against grocers? Well, they're Italian. Yeah. But there wasn't any evidence of that. Some crime analysts believe that these killings were related to sex, that the murderer was a sadist who was seeking female victims, and the men were just in the way. This was supported by the fact that, in many cases, the women were murdered, but not the man. I mean, it, it is, that is a good, you know, deduction. However, yeah. Miss uh, Pepitone, he went after the husband, Mike. Yeah, not her. Yeah. So I don't know. That one so some judge. believe, uh, some believe that the Axeman was merely trying to promote jazz music. That it mostly attributed to his letter saying he would spare the lives of people who played jazz. I believe that the letter, yes, was from a jazz person trying to promote the music, but mm-hmm. I don't think that some crazed lunatic like really went out there to murder people just to get jazz on the scene. 
Yeah, we're on the same page with that one. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So Uh. while there were some suspects, the Axeman was never caught. And after his murder on that October 27th, 1919 date, stopped killing. The weirdest one is Mrs. Pettibone. Is that the same lady? From the last yep. one? Okay. Yep. Moved to Los Angeles in 1921 and shot a man to death named Joseph Momfrey, who was said to be the axeman. There was no evidence that indicated that Mrs. Pepitone was arrested or convicted of the crime. Momfrey is not a common New Orleans name, but there was an individual in New Orleans who was involved in organized crime named Joseph Momfrey or Mumfrey. And there's no conclusive evidence this all actually happened and is more of just an urban legend. But that would make sense. So. Yeah, that would make That's sense. Good... Well, go Miss, Miss Peptone. Yeah. She, she don't take that. no shit. Mm-mm. She found out who it was and took care of it. <laughs> no. Nope. Maybe it was mafia. Maybe she was a part of the mafia. Maybe. <laughs> it could all just be... <laughs> Connected. (laughs) (laughs) So two uh, alleged victims of the Axeman was on an Italian couple named, why, why is this so harsh? Shambra. Shambra. Who was shot by an intruder on May 16th, 1912. The male Shambra survived, but his wife died. The prime, the prime suspect to these murders was somebody named Momfrey. Hmm. So that's weird. That is weird. And this is said to be like the first, you know, the first killing of the Axemen. So if oh. if they thought maybe they they could have saved a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, they could have. And well, and it's interesting that they were shot those because that's the only time anybody's been shot then in the story but maybe they just had a gun sitting out yeah not an axe right mm-hmm. they locked their axe up but not the gun yeah because because they're well yeah they almost yeah. had it and then according to scholar richard warner the chief suspect in the crimes was frank doc mumfrey he used the alias leon joseph monfrey or manfrey so, so I think this is the guy. Yeah, it sounds like they think they got the guy, right? Yeah. But they don't, but they didn't catch him. No. I mean, he's dead. Well, yeah, now he <laughs> is for sure. Whoever it was, whoever it was, gone. 100% dead. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> but there's still a lot of people that go back, like in that Mission Declassified show I was telling you about. Mm-hmm. He actually went to Italy and was like trying to trace the mafia stuff back. And it was it was really interesting. I suggest y'all take a watch to, to that because it was good. And I liked the dude. I, yeah, I don't his name, think I've watched that show before. It's on uh, Discovery Plus. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm on there a lot. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's still good. It's still good. So yeah. good. To check yes, that out. we talk about Ghost Adventures every episode, and Ghost Adventures mm-hmm. just dropped a new episode on Discovery Plus. So, uh, yeah, watch that. Gotta check it out. One. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about, you know, today's culture. So, this is some of the haunted stuff um, that is said to be in New Orleans from this Axeman stuff, okay? So the house where Joseph Maggio and his wife, Catherine, is said to be haunted by their remnants. On certain nights near the area, people have reported screams and shrieks. I mean, I would believe that. It's probably not their actual experience there, but just like a play, like, you know, that kind of trauma leaves marks places. (laughs) I thought you were going to say. It probably did, but it was the bum on the corner. <laughs> they probably did. <laughs> also uh, possible. Could have been. Could be either one. It really could. So from March 13th to the 15th, it is a New Orleans tradition to play jazz in most of the pubs, clubs, and disco at least once a night. And that's an order to ward off the Axeman's Fury. It doesn't matter if it's a honky-tonk or a goth club or the, like, swanky-swanky places. You're going to hear 
the best of Miles Davis or his cronies at least once during those nights. That's interesting. Yeah, that they still do that. That's, I mean, uh-huh. tradition. Yeah, New Orleans is big on that. Mm-hmm. So, tradition stuff. Uh, so the hospital where Joseph Romano, which was, I believe, the charity hospital, mm-hmm. um, was treated, where he was treated, it's said to be haunted by his restless spirit. And I'm sure, like, other people, too, because it's a hospital. Right. So, an, old, an old one, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Real old. Yeah. I wish we would have known about this one, too, like, before we left. But yeah. there is a... A hotel called the Haunted Hotel. <laughs> really? How did we miss it? I don't know. <laughs> that seems we like so... that yeah. was right up our alley the whole time. I wonder how close it is to where we were at. I mean, I feel like it was in the French Quarter. Oh, really? But I didn't get the address, so maybe I'm not right on that. But I mean, I feel like if we were we walked around all over, if we would have passed. Something <laughs> that said haunted hotel, I would have zoned in on it. Like, yeah, we'd have stopped. <laughs> we yeah. definitely would have stopped. So, so basically, this hotel, um, yeah, it's called the Haunted Hotel. And it's the location is said to be where the axeman hid whenever he was picking off his between picking off his victim. So he would stay there whenever he was having an off night and didn't feel like axing anyone to death. Um, so he slept here during his murder sprees and the natives believe that his ghost remains at the hotel. Hmm. Like, of course, if they like, don't know who this person was at all. Why do they know where he stayed in between his killings? Why don't, if he's a ghost that's staying there, why don't you just say, what's your name, bro? Yeah. And then find out who it is. This seems very simply, simply solved. We, we got to go, go back. back to New Orleans. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just go back. It'll yeah. be fun. We'll and we'll just solve this. It'll be, <laughs> we'll yeah. take care of it. <laughs> just give us a free uh, hotel room for our services and we'll be good, I think. Right. right? Yeah, that sounds good to me. Maybe some charbroiled oysters. <laughs> you Perfect. were the one that was like super into those. <laughs> yeah, so good. They were all right. <laughs> Delicious. So, some fun facts. Joseph and Catherine Maggio are buried in a tomb at that St. Louis Cemetery, number three, which you visited on your trip. I did not. I really wish I would have known that they were there Mm -hmm. whenever I was there. So then, like, after I knew that, I started looking back through all my pictures and was like, what would would be the odds? If I would have just like taken a picture of their crypt, but I did not, unfortunately. Yeah. That would That's be okay. that would be insane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and also in um in that hotel I wanted to mention, they have a bloody axe hanging up to commemorate like the axe man. Oh. At the haunted hotel. Yeah. <laughs> so uh but Anybody, did you watch American Horror Story, Coven? Absolutely. That's so my favorite American there. Horror Story. Yeah, I'd have to say me too. The first one and that one. Mm-hmm. Same. Yeah. And then I really liked Hotel. Many people didn't like Hotel. But I, I liked Hotel. Hotel. Lady I Gaga. She's amazing. I mean, yeah, you can't go wrong with Lady Gaga. <laughs> yep. She was great. So, um, but anyway, he was portrayed in that American horror story coven. And there, if you go to new Orleans, they have an American horror story, um, tour that you can go on. And they also have vampire diaries, which nobody cares about, but me, because mm-hmm. I am 13 years old. You know, I can't say I watched that. It's good. All the seasons, Netflix, you could do it. Hmm. No Sad. You. I don't think. get ready to cry. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I never, I never knew I'd be emotional about vampires, but but here we are. They get it out of you. Yeah. Okay, so uh, let me cite our sources here. I was shocked. Most of the things that I research 
have like a website dedicated to them and like really go down that rabbit hole of suspects and all that kind of crime photos, all that stuff. And I could not find one on the Axeman. Um, so I use wiki.com, legendsofamerica.com, nolaghost.com, and hauntedhotelnola.com uh, to find all these things. And if you Google the Axeman, um, there is a lot of newspaper clippings that you can find. Um, like I found a few on the, who is it, the Maggios. Um, so, so there's some interesting newspaper clippings on that whole situation if you want to find them. And I'm sure I can figure out how to post those to Instagram. But they're just going to be the pictures, like nothing fancy. So, so that's all I got. Well. So how do you feel now that you've officially been a co-host? Well, I feel good. I feel like if I do this again with you, though, we got to do it earlier. (laughs) I'm like old lady tired (laughs) after being on all day. But I was good. I have fun. This is nice. Good. Yeah. Well, thank you for hanging out with me and talking about this crazy stuff. Yeah. Well, thanks. uh, Thanks for inviting me on. So everybody, tell Rachel how amazing she did. Oh yeah, um, please be gentle. And <laughs> and she will probably be back uh, while George doing his house business. So house hiatus. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, we okay. appreciate y'all listening. Make Thanks, sure you guys. rate, review, subscribe. And we. Yeah.